Thanks for joining us on the Restoration Church Podcast. Today's episode is the first in our new series called Mover, and it is titled The Authority of Christ. We hope you enjoy. Well, hey, happy Valentine's Day. Everybody get a dozen roses? No? Guys, who got a dozen roses? Why do we never get flowers? It's not like we don't appreciate flowers. We recording? We're good? Awesome. Sweet. Uh, thanks for coming to Restoration. We're glad you're here. We, we want to make disciples, and one of the ways we do that is we gather together. We worship corporately. We get into the Word. We learn what God has to say It's true about us, and then we chew on it. We get together and we talk about it. And then uh, from there we go into, we live missionally in families, and we, and we pursue depth with one another in depth groups. And, uh, and that's where we believe that intimacy with God is through intimacy with the one another, the body of Christ. And so um, thank you so much for joining us. Today we're starting a new series called Mover, Mover, M-O-V-E-R, Mover. Um, last, in November we were studying the Sermon on the Mount, we finished up uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and we kind of pushed pause on Matthew, and we did a time of looking at the Christmas characters and what we can learn from them. In January we did our apologetics series, which we just finished, called Rational. Um, last week's message did not get recorded, so I'm going to re-preach it to a, a video camera or something and then put it online for you, but, um, so that we can have that whole series the beauty of the gospel. It's a good week last week. Thank you to the, uh, the people of Carborough Art Center for hosting us um, in our in our pinch because of the Super Bowl. We, we if you weren't there last week, you missed out because there was a cool church right beside us in the other auditorium called New Life Church. And after the service, I went over and after we had packed up and cleaned up, I went over and sat in their service right because they went a little longer than us, and that's fine. And I sat down in the back corner, and somehow. The pastor found out my name and that I was hiding in the corner, and he called me out in their, in their final time of worship, and he prayed for us. He prayed for us as a church, and I just want you to know that the Spirit of God was praying through him because the Spirit of God was echoing in his words prayers that we have for people in this community, that people who are disenfranchised, people who are apart from God, people who do not have a relationship with the Father or are struggling in their current relationships would come and find intimacy with God through intimacy with the church and, and, and the body of Christ. And I just want to say that he was he was praying prayers that I've heard from other people in this room. And it was really encouraging. Like, I, I kind of started dancing a little bit. I was like, go Jesus, this is awesome. And so we sat down, we talked to him. Uh, his name is Pastor Mark, and we're going to be praying for him. And uh, maybe next month or next week, maybe in our, in our everybody should have got an email as a prayer focus. Um, next week will be Mark and New Life Church. They got some cool things going on there. So look for that. We're, uh, we're going to push play back on Matthew and jump into Matthew chapter 8 today. So if you've got your Bible, we're going to finish up Matthew. We're going to go all the way until you know almost the summer with Matthew and finish it up. So um, Matthew chapter 8 is where we'll be today in the series called Mover. Why Mover? Great question. Thanks for asking. Um, mover is a, someone who can change or call something to change or to move. And Jesus is a mover. Right? You know people in your life that are movers, right? I mean, like, if you need something done, you call them, and they're movers, right? We all, we all understand movers. Um, but movers, in order to be a mover, you have to have not only just ability, but you have to have the authority to do something, right? You've got to have authority. And one of Matthew's huge themes about Jesus is his authority. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at the authority of Christ. So let me give you some examples of movers, right? Here we go. You go home. You look in your next door neighbor's house and there's a, there's a car there you're not familiar with. And you look at the front door and you see it's smashed in. Right? Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. No. <laughs> the police! Yeah. 
You're going to call the police. Because why? They're movers, right? They're going to go in and they're going to move something. You call Ethan. Ethan, bring your gun. Come here and take care of this. Somebody broke in my neighbor's house. And he's going to show up and he's going to be like, police, get on the ground. And then he's going to put them in cuffs and he's going to move them. Because he has the authority to execute the law, right? He has authority. It's been invested in him. If, if you have cancer, a, a really strange, rare form of cancer, who do you call? The world's mo- foremost authority, expert in that area, right? You call the authority. That's who you want because they have the power to move. They have the ability, they have the power to get that cancer out of you and put it somewhere else, in the trash can, hopefully. You want to remove that cancer. Um, Brendan, this is for you. If there's something strange in your neighborhood, if there's something looks weird and it's just not good, if the invisible man is sleeping in your bed, who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. Thank you! <laughs> you killed the punchline. That's all right. That's all right. You should have said, who are you going to call? Ah, you're the police! You're supposed to say police! All right, so you got it. You call the Ghostbusters. Why? Because they're the authority. Don't call me unless you have a large uh, pocket of towels that you never want to see again, because I'm going to leave a trail behind me if I'm trying to deal with that. So I just want to... So um, you call the Ghostbusters, right? Um, but what about the more complicated issues of life? What about the things that you, you've gone to all the experts and you're just not finding peace? You, you've, you've pushed through and you just, it just seems like an impossible situation. Who's the mover? Right? Like, let's say it's a marriage on the rocks. You've gone to family counseling. You've gone to marriage counseling. You've gone individually. You've gone as a couple. And there's, there's just something that just won't move in that relationship and it's causing division and it's tearing you apart. Who are you going to call? Who are you going to turn to? What about when your kids, you, you've raised them, you've invested your entire life in them, and you've taught them the truth, you've taught them the way to live, and then as they grow, they start to move away from that. And you're discouraged. And it seems like an impossible thing to have them come back to a way of life that, that brings peace and brings real life. And, and who are you going to call? Who's the authority? What if you're anxious or depressed or you're, stuck, you're, just, you're struggling with things? You've seen counselors. You've had pharmaceutical assistance. You've gone through the steps, and yet that, that cloud and that weight of depression just won't lift. Who are you going to call? Who has the ultimate authority to deal with those more complicated issues in our life? Well, today in the text, we're going to see that the Bible has something to say about that. Right? It's a problem. We all face a suffering. We all face something that just seems impossible. But the Bible has something to say about that. And it says that Jesus is that ultimate authority. Jesus is that one that we should call and we should lean on in those times when life seems impossible. We're going to see three things about Jesus' authority. Right? We're going to see that his authority is recognizable. It's, it's plain. It's evident. It's recognizable. We're going to see Jesus' authority is unquestionable. And we're going to see that Jesus' authority demands a personal response. It can't just be, okay, he's got authority. You've got to respond to it. So if you've got your Bibles, turn in chapter 7. Uh, and just I want you to glance at the last two verses, 28 and 29, real quick. We're going to come back to them. And then I want you to flip over to 9. Or, sorry, not 9. 8. Just flip over to 8 and join me in verse 5. When Jesus entered Capernaum, Capernaum, sorry, A centurion came to him, imploring him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and I will heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am a man also under authority. And I have soldiers under me. 
And if I say to one, go, he goes. And to another, come, he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following him, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great, such faith with anyone in Israel. I say to you that many will come from the east and from the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it shall be done as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very moment. Pray with me. Father, I, today I, I pray that we get into a place where if, if we've been holding out on responding to your authority in our life, that we, we get broken. I pray that your spirit would break us today. That uh, in those little areas where we say, yes, God, you can have everything but. I pray those, those but areas of our lives get just smashed to pieces today. Those places we hold on to. And that in that comes intimacy. Comes relationship with a sovereign God who loves us deeply. May your will be done, Father. Looking forward to see what you do. Amen. What is authority? What is authority? We know what movers are, but what is authority? If, if movers have to have it, we've got to define it, right? Mo authority is the power or the right to give orders. The right to make decisions. The power, the ability to make decisions and enforce discipline or obedience. The power or ability to control things is authority. So if that's authority, why did the centurion go to Jesus? His, his, his servant is laying at home, fearfully tormented, ill. I imagine fearfully tormented means really close to death, suffering greatly. Why does he go to Jesus? Why does a Roman soldier head off to find a Jewish rabbi? Good question. First of all, because Jesus' authority was recognizable. It was evident. He could see it. The centurion knew that Jesus was no ordinary man. That he was a mover. That he could do something. He had the authority to be, that must be respected and must be responded to. He explained this understanding to Jesus in the way that he talked about his own authority. Right? In verse 8 and 9, he says, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but I say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority. He understood Jesus' authority in context to his own. I am a man under authority. People tell me what to do, but I also have people that I tell what to do. And when I say something, it happens. When I want something, I get it. When I say do something, it's done. So I see you, Jesus, as a man who has an authority to heal my servant. And so I want, to, I want you to, to, to exercise your authority. How did the centurion come about this knowledge? Well, his authority was recognizable. He saw it. He, he knew what was happening in Israel, right? And there were crowds of people following him. So he's the front of the, Jesus is the front of the, the pile. People are looking at him. The centurion got clued in, right? Matthew is making very clear that Jesus' authority is, un, is, is absolutely reliable, unquestionable, and recognizable, right? Remember in the very beginning of Matthew, in the genealogy of Christ, what did Matthew work really hard to show us? That Jesus was what? King, right? We saw that he was a royal, he was from the line of David. He was king. He had authority as king. Um, he used that lineage to state his royal position and his power. Then in chapter 7, right there at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, after Jesus teaches this, this big discourse about, you've heard it said, but I say to you, 
Right? You have heard it said, but I say to you. It says this in verse 28. When Jesus finished his, his, these sayings, the crowds were astonished at His teachings. Why were they astonished? Verse 29. For He was teaching them as one who had authority. The people listening could hear that He wasn't teaching someone else's on someone else's authority. He was teaching from His own. You have heard it said, love your neighbors. But I say to you, love your enemies. Right? I mean, there was a new authority being proclaimed there in, um, in the Sermon on the Mount. He wasn't teaching as the scribes, as the other, the other prophets, or he wasn't teaching as the other rabbis in the synagogues who said, thus says the Lord. No, he always said, I say to you. And this authority was recognized in his words, but not only in his words, but also in his actions, right? Matthew 8, 1 through 4, we see that Jesus has authority over the human body when he heals the leper, right? The guy comes to him with sores and he says, you're healed, now go and, and worship, Right? He tells him to go show the Pharisees, show the, the religious leaders that he was healed, and then offer the sacrifices that Abraham commanded. Go and worship. The two commands. You're healed, now go worship. And uh, in 8, 23 through 27, we see he has authority over creation. The, the disciples and him are in a boat. They're going across the waters. A storm rises up. The disciples are freaking out. And Jesus says, what's wrong, guys? I'm here. Hey, y'all chill out. Stop, clouds. Go away. Wind, stop. Simmer down. And then he looked at him and said, you have little faith. Jesus had the ultimate authority over all of creation. And then what was their response? Who is this dude that he can command the wind and the waves? Who is this guy? It was recognizable. He had, a, he had authority over spirits, over demons, over the enemies of himself, and over all things spiritual. Right In Matthew 8, 28-34, he cast out two, de- two men or demon-possessed. He cast them out. And he sends those demons with authority into the swine. And the swine run into the ocean and are drowned, right? He, the, the demons recognize his authority. Lord, what have we to do with you? Don't kill us. Send us into the swine. They submitted to his authority. In Matthew 9, 1-8, through 8, we see Jesus has authority over sin, right? And this is a kind of a controversial moment that... Friends bring a paralytic, and, and we know that whole scene, right? They tear through the thatches of the roof, and then they blow him down. And Jesus is marveled at their faith that they would come, and they would fight the crowds to get to him. And he says to him what? Your sins are forgiven. Before he said, rise up and walk, he says, your sins are forgiven. He, Jesus, claimed authority over sin. And the Pharisees said, blasphemy. You can't say that. Only God can forgive sins. And his response was, for just so you know that I can do this and that I'm God, get up and walk. And the the paralytic got up and he walked away. He knew their heart. He He had authority over sin. And even in today's text, we see Jesus has authority over space and time. He's not limited. Right? I mean, Jesus, as God, fully God, fully man, didn't have to go to the servant's house and do a physical assessment like a physician and find out what was fearfully tormenting this guy. From his state, it's right there with the centurion coming to him. He said, go, it'll be as you believe. And his servant was healed at that exact moment. Space, time, he was aware of the servant's ailment. He knew the guy's name. He knew what was going on. And he was able, through his authority, to fix the problem, not being there. He wasn't like your family pediatrician where you call up and they're like, uh, I got my kids a fever and I'm just wondering what I should do. And they're like, well, hang up and call 911. Right? It's like, we don't want to take the responsibility because we're not there to assess we're not there to look at the kid. We're not there to look at you. So hang up and call 911. He didn't give them that message, that standard um, 
abdication of authority. He said, okay, go. He's healed. I got his back. Time and space did not limit the authority of Christ. So, the centurion got it. Right? The centurion understood this. He explained it through his understanding of authority, and he was looking for Jesus to be a mover. He recognized Jesus' position of authority and ability to be that guy that he was looking for. Because Jesus was a person of authority, and not just a person, but God, he could heal. And he was able to reach out and do what the centurion asked. You understand authority too, right? You have people you answer to. Everybody does, right? If you're a little kid, you answer to your parents. If you're a parent, you probably answer to your boss. If you're a boss, you answer to the IRS. Right? I mean, like, everybody has somebody that we answer to. We understand authority. But, for some reason, we kind of, we, we don't let Jesus have all that authority that he, he demands. Right? There's something about us that says, yeah, I see that you are God, but I don't really want to call you God over this area of my life. I don't really want to give you that status. Who's the final fixer of the problems that can't be fixed? Is it you? Are you, are you the one who will make yourself perfect? Are you the one that will solve your struggles and your fears? Or is there someone above you that has a greater authority that can come into your life and in a relationship with him, conquer those fears, conquer that depression, kill that marriage, bring those children back away from wondering? Is, is there someone else? Yes, it's Jesus. But why Jesus? Right? He demonstrated his authority, but why Jesus? It's because Jesus' authority was not just recognizable. It was also, as the centurion saw, unquestionable. Jesus' authority is unquestionable. And what do I mean by that? Verse 5 says that Jesus entered Capernaum and the centurion came to him imploring him, Lord. Right? Jesus, the, the centurion recognizes him as someone other than an equal. Right? A centurion guard going to a rabbi, that's, a, that's, that's not something you would say, Lord. You would just say, hey, get out of my way. He's a centurion. He's a Roman. He's an oppressor of the Israelites, right? of the Jewish people. But he goes to a Jew and he says, Lord. He sees his authority above him. It's an unquestionable authority. My servant's lying paralyzed. Notice, in, notice that the centurion in all of this, he wanted his servant healed. He didn't say, I've tried everything. I've gone to the doctors. I've gone to the temple of the God of healing and I've offered sacrifices. I've been to this God and this God and I've done this and now I'm, I'm out of options. Do you have anybody you could suggest? Right? He doesn't come to Jesus asking for a referral. He comes to Jesus asking for a solution. His, his authority is unquestionable. Remember when you were in high school? And uh, is anybody able to remember that? You good? You remember that? Okay. Some, some of us it was like yesterday. Some of us it was a while ago. But remember in high school and you, you wanted to go out with your friends or you wanted to take that girl? on that date, that date, but you were only like 16 and you, you didn't have a job and so you were dependent on your parents' car. Remember that, that moment in your life where you had to go ask mom or dad for permission to take the car? You know what I'm talking about? And who would you go ask first? Dad, right? I would go ask dad. I'd be like, dad, how you doing, buddy? I got, I got, got dishes done. You know, the, the yard's cut. You're looking good. You lost weight? You know what I mean? Like, you got to butter them up. And then, you've been working out, haven't you? Just like, you know, and, and, and dad's like, yeah, 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 uh, what do you want? You know? And, and then he'd pull out his wallet, right? Because whenever he started talking about how he lost weight, there was money involved. So he's like, he'd pull out his wallet, and he'd open it up, and say, it's empty, right? He's like, what do you want? Well, can I borrow the car? I want to take, you know, I want to take this girl out to a movie or something. I'll be back by nine, I promise, you know? 
Um, and he's and what he do? He looked up at you and what he say? Go ask your mama. Right? Go ask your mama. It wasn't. It wasn't. Yeah, sure, son. Here's the keys. Take off. No, it was like he knew who the final word was, who the who the, who the authority in the room was, and he was like, go ask your mama. And then you go to mom, like, mom, I love you. And mom would say, nope. You know, you never. You know, you never even ask the question. Nope. And, and then you'd be like, but you didn't even go to your room. You know, it's like the final authority was mom. We, know, we understand final authority. We understand final authority. But listen, just like the centurion saw that Jesus was the final word, he was the final authority in this situation, he was the solution, his authority was unquestionable, we too have got to get to the point where we say Jesus' is authority is unquestionable in our lives. Because if we don't, we're going to miss a relationship with him. Listen to me very carefully. This is, if you don't hear anything else today, hear this. If Jesus' authority is not unquestionable, you have no relationship with Jesus. You have a relationship with a false guy. Let me explain this to you. When, think about marriage. right? Um, think about uh, your spouse. When you, when you enter into a relationship with somebody, maybe it's a girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever... Uh, maybe you're not married, but think about a significant relationship in your life. When you enter that relationship, most of the time at the beginning, everything is negotiable, right? Everything's like, well, I want to go to the movies. Well, I want to go out to eat. Well, that's fine. Let's just go out to eat at a movie. And they're like, you know, you, you come to a compromise, right? And most of marriage is a compromise. And, and you move through life, and you, but then as you grow closer together, right, as you get closer and closer together, your wills start to cross, and they don't flex, right? There are some things that are just not negotiable. So here's a simple example. Your in-laws, right? If you want a relationship with your wife or your spouse, your boyfriend or girlfriend, you're going to have a relationship with their in-laws, right? Now, let me caveat. This is not against Rebecca and her parents, right? This has nothing to do with her. This is just a general illustration. Just putting that out, okay? Now, I love you, Jim. You're my boy. All right. Just to clarify. All right. So here's the deal. If, if, you, if you say it's non-negotiable, I do not want to be in a relationship with your parents, what have you done? You've shut off something that's final about that person, a finality about them, something that's non-negotiable. Their parents will always be their parents. You can't change that. They will never change. And if you want to have a relationship with them, you've got to accept their parents. And if you don't, you create a big wedge of intimacy. You'll never get as close to them as you could. There will always be something holding you back. There will always be a source of contention. There will always be a source of fight and strife. There will always be something that breaks an intimate bond between you and your, and your significant other. The same is true for Jesus. If we go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I believe everything you say except for this, then we've broken relationship with him. We've lost intimacy. We've put a barrier right there between him and us. The closeness that he desires with us, the oneness that he wants to have with us, we have broken right there. Because we have said, you, your authority is not final. You don't have the final word in my life. I have the final word. As a matter of fact, I'm going to dream that you are a Jesus that accepts my authority over yours. We create a new God. We create a God that ultimately, when we start suffering, doesn't have the authority to overcome it. We've created a false Jesus, and we begin to worship them. We've said, God, you can have everything about me but my sexuality. You can have everything about me but my financial love for money. You can have everything about me but this, and you can have everything about me but this, but you're going to submit to this in me. You've created a false God, 
not the Jesus of the scripture. And when you get into that pinch where the impossible situation needs an authority to come in and be a mover, he won't be there. Because you don't have a relationship with the Jesus of scripture. Notice Jesus never said in the scripture, thus says the Lord. He always said, truly, truly, I say to you. He was always the final word. It was never anyone above him. He was the final word because he is God. He is God. He had that ultimate final word. Hebrews 1 explains this really well. Look with me. Flip, flip to Hebrews 1, 1 through 5. It says that Jesus is the final word. It says this very beautifully. Very beautifully. I'm going to have to work on that. that. I don't think that was good English. <laughs> All right. The supremacy of God's Son. Verse 1. Long ago at many, many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Long ago and in many ways, God spoke to us by the prophets. He used people to communicate His authority. Right? Isaiah, Ezekiel, you name them. Keep going down. He used the people to communicate his authority. But in these last days, he spoke to us by his son. Whom he appointed as the heir to all things. Through whom also he created the world. So, so the inspired word of God, the person writing Hebrews is saying, Jesus is not just the guy. Jesus is the final word of God. Long ago, he used to communicate through a lot of people. Then Jesus came and the finality. Boom. Jesus says goes. Because he's the heir. He, is, he owns all things. Not only does he own all things, he created all things. He created the world. And more than that, look at verse 3. This is the beautiful part. He is the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of his nature. Now, to a reader of this, when they think about imprint, they think about when you would create something, a letter, and you'd send it off to somebody, you'd pour some wax on it, and you'd get a what? A stamp. And you would imprint that, that, that wax, right? And that wax, that seal, was your authority, right? That, that, was, that was the one that says, I sent this letter, and nobody else should open it until it gets to the person that it is. And if it isn't, then somebody's going to have to face me because I sealed it. That's my imprint. In verse 3 it says, Jesus is the exact imprint of his nature, of God's nature. Jesus is God. Right there. He is the exact representation of the character of God. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He's the final word. If we're honest about this, we're probably quick to acknowledge that it's, it's a hard concept for modern man to accept. It's hard for us to accept. The idea of the finality of Jesus, that, that he can cross our wills and we have to accept his over ours. Right? It's, it's hard for us. But if we want intimacy with God, there has to be finality in Jesus. <clears throat> Period. If we want to pursue an intimate relationship with God, Jesus has to be the final authority. Otherwise, he's a false guy. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. The centurion got this. The centurion knew i got to go to the final authority. My servant, who obviously he loves because he left. He wasn't just a slave that he could toss out in the street. This is someone he cared about. He's at home and he's fearfully tormented. He's ill and I need you to save him. I need you to help him. And, and, G, and the centurion went to the man whose authority was recognizable and unquestionable. And he asked him to do something. And he even said, don't do it in my house. Do it right now. You are the final word. Heal my servant. And Jesus was like, you get it. That's faith. 
right there. You decided to take your authority and just crush it and depend on my authority. That's faith. Wow. And then he looked at all the people around him and was like, what's wrong with y'all? Right? He's like, well, why don't y'all get it? But Jesus' authority couldn't just be recognized and it couldn't just be final. It had to demand that the centurion respond to it. He had to go find him. He had to seek him out. He had to present the request. Jesus' authority demands a personal response in faith. Right? That's what it demands. Verse 10 through 12. Truly I say to you, I have, found, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness in a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Our only response to such recognizable and unquestionable authority is faith. That's the only response we can really give. It's just faith in that authority. The centurion illustrated it through his understanding. right? The centurion came and sought Jesus out and then expressed that he, was, he had no authority over the situation. He was dependent upon Jesus' authority. He recognized it for what it was. He claimed it to be unquestionable. And he put his faith in the Father. In Jesus. But... Jesus turned around and said, what's wrong with you guys? I haven't seen this in anybody around here. What, why does the Roman get it? But you don't. He had, the Roman at that moment had no authority over his suffering servant. Right? He couldn't say to his servant, get up. Stop whining. Right? Get up and be healed. He, could, he had no authority. So he had come to an end of his authority. And he found the final authority, the final word in Christ. The solution was Jesus alone. The centurion no longer was the mover. He was in need of Jesus to be the mover for him, so he sought him out. He called the Lord, called him Lord. He humbled himself before the God of all creation. Then even at this point, he clearly understood who Jesus was. Even if he didn't understand who Jesus was, he knew that Jesus was more powerful than he was in that given situation. What's the situation in your life where you've lost the authority, where you've lost all the power, but you keep trying to fix it. You have no authority, but you keep trying to fix it. What's that scenario in your life? And then are you willing to say, there is a higher authority and his name is Jesus. And I'm going to go and I'm going to ask him to move. And I'm going to put the weight of everything I've got into his authority and his power and his control and his position as God. And I'm not going to try to take over it for him. I'm just going to put the weight of all my hope in that situation on him and ask him to be the mover. We have a tendency to think that faith is something inside of us. It's something that we do. It's a kind of an ability or a work. It, it's, it's from us. But really what faith is, faith is not relying on ourselves. It has nothing to do with us. It has to do with putting everything we have into Jesus. That's what faith is. It's putting all of our hope, all of our, everything we have into Jesus. He's the only one that can overcome. Jesus affirms the centurion's faith and th- this is a proper faith response, right? You see I have authority, you've, you see you don't, and you put your faith in me. That's good. And then he turns to the people of Israel and he says, listen, I'm going to explain this whole east and west thing, right? And outer darkness. Here you go. Here's the deal. All you guys think you got it because you're Israelites, because you're sons of Abraham, you're sons of Isaac and Jacob. You, you think because of your family association, because you're Jews, that you're in. 
But let me tell you something. Unless you respond to my authority, you're in outer darkness. That's what it means. People from the east and the west, Gentiles, Romans, Assyrians, Persians, whatever, they're going to come to Jesus and they're going to sit down at that table, that promised feast of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in heaven. They're going to be there in relationship with Jesus because they're going to say, I'm at the end of my authority and you have authority and I submit myself to you. And all you guys out here, the sons of the kingdom, that think that your, your, your hope is in your lineage, you got another thing coming. Your hope can only be in me. That's what Jesus is saying right there. Hell, hell is not supposed to be um, a motivation for the lost. It's supposed to be a check for the people who think they're saved. Right? It's supposed to remind us, hey, if our authority, if, if Christ is not our ultimate authority, then maybe we need to check ourselves. It wasn't supposed to meant to scare them in. It's supposed to say, you think you're secure, but are you really? Is your hope in me or is it hope in yourself, in your name, in your family name, in your lineage? The fact that you go to church, that you're a moral person, that you're a good, you're, you're a good guy. You never killed anybody. What's your hope in? We must individually respond to the final word, just like the centurion, to the recognizable, unquestionable, response-demanding authority of the person of Jesus. If we want a real intimate relationship with God, who loves us and called us to himself, our faith must be a personal removal of trust in our own authority and a placement of that trust into the person and authority of Jesus. That's faith. And um, going to church won't cut it. Being moral won't cut it. It just doesn't get there. So the question we must ask ourselves is this. In who, in the times of great suffering, in the times where it seems hopeless, who's the final authority? Who am I going to call? Am I going to call myself and I'm going to fix it or am I going to let Jesus? Am I going to put my trust in Jesus? Who will have the ultimate power, the ultimate control over me? We will all face times of suffering. We're all going to face fearful torment at some point. Some fears, addictions, anxiety, something in this world we can't overcome. The Bible teaches that there is someone who has the authority to overcome it. It's not us. It's the person of Jesus. The man who could command the waves and the wind. Who could speak to the demons and cast them out. Who could heal the leper. Who could heal over time and space. The man who was God in the flesh. And who came and sacrificed himself. Poured out his blood to demonstrate the love and the exact imprint and character of God to us. That's the person we've got to put our faith in. As we go forward in the series, we're going to find out what faith looks like. That's, that's the next couple messages is what does faith really work like? If faith is a removal of my authority and putting all my trust in the authority of Jesus, how does that work out practically? And then what does that produce in our lives? One thing, it produces intimacy with God. Right? We remove the barriers, we call him who he is, and we move towards him, and he moves towards us. But it also gives us a great power to overcome sin and craziness in this world. So um, we're going to move forward in that. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Restoration Church Podcast. To learn more about our church or to hear other messages in this series, please visit us at www.restorationchurch.us or follow us on Facebook at RestorationDCH.